welcome to the latest episode of the Nickel City Soundtrack Podcast. I'm here by myself doing this intro. This week we're talking to Hourglass. Hourglass was a Buffalo hardcore band from the mid-90s, which kind of didn't do the traditional Buffalo style of hardcore, but I was a huge fan. I was friends with those dudes back in the day. And we talk about the band's history. We also talk about their reformation. They just recently gotten back together, started practicing, minus a couple of members, but adding a few friends as members again and new members. Uh, check it out and enjoy. So we're here talking to Michael and Gerald from the band Hourglass. Everybody say hey. Crew, say hey. Hi, it's Chris. What's up? Hi. It's Derek. Alex. And Michael. <laughs> and it's Gerald. What'd you do in Hourglass? Yeah, I think Mike, Michael kind of rolled around on the ground a bunch and like grabbed his butt. And um, <laughs> I, I tried to play guitar. I played a lot of these these chords, which um, I've more recently discovered are actually called triad chords. I'm yeah. not too good with, with music theory, but um, a lot of people have referred to them as, as the hourglass chords over the years. Um, we've somehow become synonymous. Awesome. But yeah, I played a lot of, I played a lot of triad chords at times. Um, I rolled around on the ground myself, um, but yeah, tried to play the guitar. Nice. Okay. So the first time, I guess, I came across Hourglass. I, not Hourglass, but the band before Hourglass. I was at a a show at the Irish Center. It was like it was like Brothers Keeper, Drought, Despair, Mouthpiece, and I think played with Rage Play. And Joe Orlando was at the show selling next to nothing demos. And he goes, "Yo, he goes, yo, we're we're like we're we're heavy, and our singer sounds like Sim." That's what he said to me. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buy, it. I'll buy a demo. <laughs> and then I guess the standard hardcore demo sale. <laughs> and then I guess the next time I ha, let's let's go into how next nothing became Hourglass. Let's start. Sure, um, it's kind of funny because I just um, got a lot of those those demos back. Um, I we're assembling the the you know the recordings because we're, we're doing a, a discography 12 inch right now for Immigrant Sun. Um, so we're trying to source all the material, but I went to my mom because she had a lot. I, she would always purchase our old demos and t-shirts and whatnot. And I was hoping that she had the, the original, one of the original Hourglass demos um, because I knew it would would be unplayed. I, I highly doubt my mom has ever, you know, actually put it in her cassette player. Um, but she gave me this bag of, of T-shirts and um, CDs and mostly CDs and a, a couple of the Hourglass, the Hourglass 7-inch and the Hourglass CD. Um, but unfortunately, the demo wasn't in there, but there were, there were two of the Next Nothing demos, and which completes my collection because there were three total Next to Nothing demos. And then there was actually an Hourglass demo prior to Mike being in the band um, that, had, that had Jay on vocals. Um, which I think I, I haven't looked in it recently, um, but the, the the cassette we decided to um, 
put stickers on the cassette rather than having an actual cover. So the, the demo itself has like hourglass down the spine on a sticker. And then the cover is like, um, I think myself and, and, and Jay Dorn, um, like I'm jumping or something. He's, he's like ducked down, but stuck on the cover. Um, but we did that. And um, I had, you know, Joe started playing in the band and Matt was already in the band with Marcus and um, next to nothing was playing. We, we played uh, quite a fair amount of shows. And I know we were playing, we played a few shows at the church of nativity um, off of Colvin and Sheridan uh, uh, right at that intersection or whatever. And I think it was shortly after there that, that Joe had befriended Mike. And then um, I think the kind of final straw um, before we, we switched from looking for a new vocalist was that um, we had, we were playing the new year's day show in Syracuse, which like, I couldn't believe it. It was a ridiculous show. It was like earth crisis and strife and Snapcase and like all these bands that were, you know, far above our, our pedigree and our league at that point. Um, but we opened the show and our, our former singer, the singer of Next to Nothing, Jay Dorn, was also a rower in high school. He rowed um, in, on the crew team and he had a crew match that morning and he thought he was going to be able to do the crew match and then be able to drive. I think the crew match was like outside of Hamilton, Ontario. And he thought he was going to be able to drive to Syracuse after his crew match and uh, make the show. And unfortunately, he didn't make it. Um, and we ended up playing a set of covers which I, I think we played an integrity tune. And um, I, I definitely know, um, here's another odd story, and I'm sorry to go off on these tangents, but um, we played a mouthpiece song. And obviously like, I think just people sang along. I don't even remember who, who was the vocalist. I think, I think we just like put the mic down and let people go for it. Um, but Tim McMahon, the singer from Mouthpiece and his then girlfriend, now wife, Tracy, actually were like walking into Lost Horizon in Syracuse as we played that song. Um, and we ended up, I ended up befriending them that night. And we actually ended up going, myself and Nick Barron, I uh, went with them back to New Jersey and like hung out with them for the entire weekend, which was totally surreal at the time because Mouthpiece seemed like such like a huge band. Um, but yeah, so, so Jay didn't show up for that show. And that was kind of like, man, we missed this huge opportunity for the band and we got to do something else. And, um, that's when we started looking for another singer. And um, like I said, the relation with, with Joe and Mike, cause they went to school together. Um, Joe suggested it and, you know, things kind of went from there. And Mike, well, I didn't, obviously you, you can, you can jump in with yeah, your recollections. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll fact check uh, Gerald a little bit. Um, <laughs> that show you're talking about was not the Syracuse show. That was, um, that was at the church of nativity. Um, and, yeah, it was, you're right about Jay uh, and not going. And uh, he was really weird. It was a prolonged, I mean, it was like three weeks away or something. And I remember um, he uh, didn't want anyone else to sing the actual next to nothing songs. So that's where it became the set of, you know, it was like, yeah, mouthpiece, Gorilla Biscuits, Earth Crisis. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I sang that show. So I, I was there. And then after that, it was sort of, he was pissed and he left. And then you guys just asked me to fully join. 
and that's when we started rewriting songs. But the Syracuse show, we were, I mean, that was like six months. No, that was, no, that was after the fact. We, we played two of the New Year's Day shows. So the show with Jay, uh, that, that show definitely had, and that was prior to the show at the church that you're talking about. Yeah. Because I specifically remember like sitting in Jay's car, like he showed up like right after our set and he was just, he was devastated, you know, like it was, it, he, he felt horrible, but like, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it is, it is what it is. We couldn't wait any longer, but yeah, I now you mentioning that other show, it was a very similar set. And yes, you did, you did the vocals there. And I, I do remember yeah, yeah. that. And it was well, a lot I, of fun. I just, nothing <laughs> exists outside of like me joining in my mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> so was this 95 or 96? That's got to be 95. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because the first show, like our first show with Mike outside of that cover show, um, I had booked, um, bloodlet and 108 at kenzie's and then like last minute the show got moved around the corner to niagara hotel but that was our first show as hourglass and it was um the basically the lineup for the for the rest of our existence minus our drummer um it was billy myself uh, michael joe and matt roberts at that show okay so the demo how many hourglass demos were there there were technically two, but the, the, the first one was like the, the Jay Dorn demo. And then there was the hourglass demo with Michael on it. And bit, like I said, basically the crew that, that went on, I think Billy played on the first demo and then, um, Paul, Paul Bell played on the seven inch and on the split 12 inch. So how long after the first show is the, is the second hourglass demo or is it, I think it was, I think it was pretty quick. Like, I don't remember, I mean, to be honest, I don't remember what songs we were playing at that 108 show at the time, but we were definitely, that. that's when, you know, um, it, it's kind of funny because I, I posted that 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 flyer from the, um, the 95 Detroit Fest on the Instagram today. Um, and that show was, was pretty huge for me, just in general, in overall my, take on, on on music especially hardcore music at the time um because a lot of the bands that played that show were um bridging off from you know the traditional like revelation or you know new age records like kind of hardcore that i had grown up on and you know we were we were bridging the gap into the more of the midwest emo with like cap and jazz and then like the whole california like san diego swing kids and still life and um what, what I consider, I guess it's considered now second wave emo, but that's what like emo music was to me was kind of that, that's where that was almost like the foundation of it. it was a lot of those bands that were playing at that show. And it, it kind of expanded my mind in terms of what hardcore music and punk music really was. Cause like, it, it seemed like it was such a defined thing before then. Cause like, you know, whatever minor threat and uniform choice and then gorilla biscuits and um, sick of it all and bands like that after that. But like, you know, seeing a lot of these other bands that were doing something totally different, but still accepted by that scene, like really interest me. You guys were definitely doing, from my perspective, you guys were doing a very unique thing in Buffalo at the time. Uh, and it always like, it always kind of gave me the same feelings I got listening to like Threadbare and stuff like that. Uh, there's not really a question here. I'm just kind of saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always, was like, weird because 
you you had all these bands you know you know like we had like you know your your traditional kind of like what we know is like the like buffalo style bands like slugfest mm-hmm. fade away even like against all hope and 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 snapcase before they you know got a little bit more progressive but there was definitely like a sound and an aesthetic and all of that and like i i always felt like we were kind of like on the the, the fringe of that like those those people weren't really necessarily into what we were doing because we were kind of out there, you know? And that's like, we would go to Canada and like, for, for some reason, the kids like got it. Like it was, it was weird. Like we would go to Canada and the shows would be packed. Kids would be going crazy. Like, and it was such a different reaction than what we got in Buffalo until like we were basically not a band anymore. Did we get a similar reaction to any of the times that we were in Canada? Yeah, those shows gave us confidence, I think, a lot. Um, and I don't know. I I was always a uh, kind of nervous wreck. And um, those were those were a lot of fun, those shows, because it, it was. The energy and vibe was very different. And I think going back and playing in Buffalo after those shows, we were able to kind of pick up the energy i think we were just stronger um from that uh, well, there's there's a noise in the background of someone's a dog is a <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a dog noise not sex noise in the background just to be clear. My, my george <laughs> you have a dog named george yeah I have a cat named George. Nice. <laughs> nice. I, I had to mute myself because I didn't want to laugh while you were talking because I wasn't <laughs> laughing at you. I'm laughing at this dog, like, <laughs> laughing up his water, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I better mute myself. <laughs> He's chiming in. <laughs> yeah. So I got things. <laughs> yeah, I always felt like Buffalo kind of slept on you guys. I mean, I was always, you know, hanging around with you guys, but like, Buffalo just didn't seem to get Hourglass at all. You know, I dare say that Buffalo, and this is probably going to get me in trouble, and maybe I shouldn't say it, so Derek, be prepared to edit it out. (laughs) But I I dare say that Canada got it because Canadian kids seem to be a little bit smarter. And Buffalo kids at that time maybe weren't. If that makes sense, I don't know, or maybe it was a maturity thing, but I definitely felt like I, Buffalo didn't really get it either. Look at the state of not Buffalo at the not at the time. Man. Like I, I feel like maybe if it, if if we were doing stuff, maybe like a year later, like like when they live started up in like Discovery. I mean, we obviously we played we played some pretty good shows at Discovery, but like when they when they moved a lot of the shows downstairs and whatnot, and like Eric started bringing a lot of the more, you know, kind of. You, like you know like gordon Soli motherfuckers and like more you know power violence kind of bands started coming through like I, I think like that whole scene like i don't know like things were more accepted and it happened like seriously like right at the end of like our existence <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't remember your shows <laughs> being that like bad like i don't remember like it no not like a- you, guys, you know i seem like you guys had a, quite a following took a long time though Derek like I mean yeah, we were around for and I mean I I booked shows for a, a really long time leading up to that like I booked shows in Lockport I was booking shows in Niagara Falls like I started booking shows at, at Willow 104 and I actually like did this one festival like with a bunch of bands like I it was like Slugfest and like a bunch of bands from Canada and a bunch of bands from Syracuse and like a lot of people traveled for it um like I I booked like Earth Crisis and Damnation and Guilt out in out in um 
Mackenzie's, but you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I was, I was helping the scene out and trying to help the kind of more, you know, like, like I said, like more fringe bands or some of the more like unknown bands at the time. But like, I feel like it all came together. Like after I wasn't a part of it, right. <laughs> like, right. like, like, like I built the, like I built the foundation and then things like took off, you know? Right. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't mean that as some, you know, some, you know, egotistical type thing or whatever, you know? <laughs> so, Okay, so you you were also in Half Mass at the time of Hourglass. How did that work out, you being in Half Mass and Hourglass at the same time? Well, it, it ended up being a conflict, unfortunately, and that's why I had I had to basically choose one over the other um, because I was playing... I actually had tried out for Despair right before um, Hourglass started. I think I even played one of the early hourglass riffs that I had um, when I, I tried out in, I think um, Phil and Scott were living together in a house um, over on like Mang or something over in Kenmore. And it, I, I tried out and I obviously didn't get the, uh, didn't get the gig, but yeah, I remember trying out with one of those riffs. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of dabbling in a bunch of different stuff and I believe the half mass tour I went on was right after I graduated high school. So I didn't have a whole lot going on. And I obviously loved, you know, hardcore and, and the scene. And I, I liked, I was hanging out with those guys a lot. Um, so it just made sense. But I did like a month long tour with half mass and I was started writing. I wrote some of the songs that were on the status cassette um, that hence got re-recorded. I believe, I, I know, I think, status got re-recorded and i believe one other song that i may have co-written with jeremy um ended up on their ambassador seven inch but yeah we got back from that tour and then kind of hourglass stuff started taking off at the same time so it was like i was kind of torn between the two and hourglass was was my baby so you know i had i had to choose that over the other when you guys were getting i guess bigger you know in a sense were you guys, I don't remember, I know you toured with New Day, did that New Day Rising tour, but were there other like weekends and tours that you guys did? Um, we we did a couple of weekends here and there. Like we played, I know we played Rochester a few times. Um, mm -hmm. We played Ithaca um, a couple of times because Sean and Pat were there and that's kind of how our relationship with Immigrant Sun started. Mm -hmm. um, obviously we did, we did Lost Horizon a couple of times, um, which always blew my mind but i mean i always and i know you went with me to a lot of the the sunday shows and and befriended john mckaig and mm -hmm. um you know that was a really cool little relationship that we had and he always he definitely helped helped me out and helped our bands out which is always cool um we did um some shows in pennsylvania so we did like weekend stuff yeah um but the the tour was the only thing was the only like really substantial thing and we only played a, a portion of it um, because we started, we, we played, I think the first three shows and then, um, Mike left and I went with New Day Rising and then they came back and joined us like right at the end. Um, we played Delaware and we were going to play Long Island. And then, um, I believe it was myself and Michael and Joe Orlando. We were waiting in Long Island and then New Day Rising like broke down in Philadelphia and never made it. So our, our actual final day of our show of our tour never ended up happening typical 90s tour story yeah it was, yeah like you like i'm walking around with like you know a dialer and like a like list of phone numbers in my pocket so yeah 
just thinking uh, about that, like, you know, Jay Dorn was trying to make it to that show. I'm like, there was no cell phones then. So, like, you didn't yeah, know Yeah, I could have, like, on. messaged him. Yeah, no, I had no idea where he was. <laughs> like, how far away are you? That didn't exist then. <laughs> no, no, not at all. We're just saying like, uh... shit. Like, uh, yeah, it's, like, uh, been an hour and a half. I guess we got to play, so. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Chris would call that the Buffalo Black Cloud or something, right, Chris? <laughs> that follows yeah. all the Buffalo bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, always, like, breaking up the minute before they get big or recognized and like yeah so, definitely it's definitely buffalo style would you say yeah. you wrote most of the who wrote like mike did you write most of like the lyrics and stuff for hourglass once you're in it yeah yeah i wrote all the lyrics okay so what was stuff what, what kind of stuff were you were you talking were you talking about back then um i always sort of thought of it as um i mean it was all very personal um <laughs> but I always was thinking about the kind of larger perspective of everyone else. So it was never like so specific um, to me, but, but always kind of thematic about, you know, kind of personally trying to navigate the, the, the hell of, you know, the social and, uh, you know, kind of political construct around us. Um, but then also, you know, family and, you know, just sort of personal uh, issues. Um, so it was, uh, it was charged. I mean, I think the, the lyrics and um, uh, the performance were very in key with one, of the, one another. Um, uh, same kind of energy, same kind of uh, emotion um and i think that's why it was so easy you know because it was an outlet um and it's fun because we're starting to you know write some new stuff and it's fun to go back into that like that same mode mm -hmm. um but uh yeah so how did you guys link up with immigrant son like how did that happen I I think it was just through show playing shows in Ithaca and we just immediately like befriended Sean and then we were hanging out with him at his apartment. And then I know he booked, um, he booked us with kiss a goodbye. Um, which I remember you were at that show and we actually ended up going and driving to Massachusetts the following day to see kiss a goodbye. Cause I think that was like literally like their first show, like ever for one of them. Who um, else did we being, see at that show? What that was twenty five to life was it? it not? Was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't get lineups like that anymore. No, you don't. It was like kissing goodbye twenty five to life. I think Grimlock played maybe. It was, was that the band with like the three really like like big dudes that like play guitar. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, no offense to them, I, and I, I'm sorry that that's how. I mean, absolutely no offense, but that's like how I remember them in my mind. They have a song about Bob Probert, I remember. The <laughs> hockey player. <laughs> so that's their, yeah. probably their mindset. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, we we just started hanging out with them and um you know, they um Pat played in Saren and they were they the Saren record I believe was the first record that was on Immigrant Son. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, they just offered to put something out for us and it, it kind of went from there. I can't I believe that there's four different pressings of the record at this point on the mm -hmm. seven inch. And I, I think they did a thousand a pop. So wow, uh, they, there's, there's 4,000 of that seven inch out there in the world somewhere. 
are the pressings different from each other or is it just kind of the same throughout? No, he, he ran different colors. Um, there's a green pressing and a blue pressing. And I know the, the first pressing they did, um, there's, there's like these hand stamped, I, I can't think of the material that they use, but it's like a wax. So they would do a hand stamp like with a, a glue and then they'd sprinkle this wax on it and then you'd have to heat it in order for it to adhere to the paper. Um, so we would sit in their apartment. I mean, I, we did hundreds of these. We'd sit in their apartment and Pat was sitting there with like, you know, multiple cookie pans with like four seven inch covers per pan, putting them in the oven. Yeah. I don't know. Does that have the like weird embossment on the back of it, Chris? Yeah. Like yeah. over the logo. Yeah. Exactly. So that was that that's got to be the first press because I only think yeah, they did that like, on the first press. Like touching it, I can feel that there's like raised and like. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, I knew the immigrant son kind of went above and beyond with their uh, packaging, but like this is some next level shit, particularly for the nineties. Yeah, it's. And I it's wasn't even aware of funny. that. Um, if you look on our on our Insta, Joe Valella sent me a picture um, of one that he has, and it's actually like uh, about I don't know, maybe an eighth of the one of the top corner of the front is completely burnt off, and he was like dude what's up with this why is this this cover like all burnt and then i like had to go back and be like yeah pat like ended up you know they were in the oven for too long sometimes because you're only able to do like eight at a time yeah when when you're doing this for like hundreds of seven inch covers so yeah that that's, dude, that's how that, so awesome. that came to be yeah no that's i'm they their aesthetics and their packaging got really insane after that and that's why um i'm glad to be working with them again for the for the um the discography and, and potentially something new after this because i'm really excited for you know what the packaging is going to look like sean's has already sent been, us some sean's already sent is. us some kind of like like mock-up ideas of like what what you know he's thinking um so yeah i think it's going to be very unique and I, i'm like i said i know there's going to be the discography which is going to have the demo and the seven inch and the split on it um, but we're in, in the middle of writing a new record right now. And the original idea was to do a, 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 a double LP, but we might end up splitting it up. But I, the packaging may link the two together. I'm not sure yet. We're still kind of nice. hashing all that out. And is there going to be like shirts and stuff to go with that so I can finally have an hourglass shirt? <laughs> yeah, we're hoping we're hoping to um, get the original design with the, the kind of scene with the guys getting shot. And then Michael has... Um, some concepts that he's actually working with um, the visual artist that he works with for his actual, for his business. Um, that's, that's drawing up some ideas for us right now. So we, yes, yeah, we're definitely going to have shirts. Awesome. Very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're doing the new stuff. Might there be a show or two when that happens? We're, we're hoping, I mean, that's kind of where, where it all, kind of started is that we we tried to um visit this whole idea about five years ago at the 20th anniversary um of the band and some of our records mm -hmm. um and actually keith offered us the um to play the every time i die christmas show but unfortunately um buried alive was working on their whole reunion thing and then they got the this is hardcore show so that kind of um trumped the whole hourglass thing at the time um so basically right i think it was even the the evening before 
New Year's um, of 2020, Sean reached out and was like, you know, I'm, I'm working on some stuff for the 25th anniversary. I'm thinking about doing a couple, a couple of records or a couple of represses and, you know, would love to do the hourglass thing. And that's kind of was the impetus for, for, you know, us revisiting this. Um, Cause Michael and I had always wanted to do it. Unfortunately, like Matt and Joe weren't available at the time and now revisiting it now, like, you know, we talked to them, they're, they're both extremely busy. Um, Joe just opened a, a restaurant um, nearby and he, he has two kids and he just has a lot going on. Um, and, and Matt, similarly, he, he has a son and he's very busy with work right now. Um, I, I don't even know if he had time. Uh, I know Barry Alive is still trying to do stuff. I don't even know if he has time for that. Um, I don't think they're involved maybe, in Alive anymore. You say, I don't think either of them are in it anymore. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with it. I mean, I know it's Sprig and, and, and whatever. I, I think that they were talking about it after the 7-inch came out, but I, I, you know, I don't know. That's up to those guys. The shows <laughs> yeah, yeah. played after a little bit. Uh, Joe and Matt couldn't do it, so they got... Uh, yeah, they Busky. had the dudes from Terror or whatever. They got, Martin, they got Busky, yeah, Martin and Busky. who used to be in Terror and Martin from from Terror, yeah. yeah. But I mean, so, for all so I yeah. know, maybe, maybe those guys are still involved in like writing and stuff, and it's just a separate thing for. Yeah, you know, I know the seven inch was just it was just Matt and Joe like wrote yeah. those the, the three new songs or whatever, but I I'm not sure what's going on. Um, but I mean, maybe like I said, we're we're moving. Um, forward now we've got marcus natty who is actually the bass player in next to nothing is playing second guitar um he lives in pittsburgh but um obviously things have, have changed considerably um in in the digital realm and, and with the internet so we're able to trade a lot of um videos and and song ideas back and forth and then um aaron who um he's playing in pissing match right now he used to play bass and every time i die he's playing bass with us um so yeah, so myself and Aaron and Billy Wakoyak, who was um, the first drummer in Hourglass, or in the new lineup, Paul is in Austin and unfortunately couldn't commit to coming up or really doing anything. Um, I'm hoping maybe Matt or Joe might be able to contribute once we're to the point of being ready to record something, but you know, time will tell. I, I know they're all busy, so we'll see what happens. You know, we've been bouncing a lot of ideas off of each other, like myself and Marcus and Aaron have been bouncing riffs off of each other. Um, we've got kind of three or four new songs rolling. I know Michael's been working on some lyrics. We've got, you know, it's kind of a whole production. We're kind of moving forward. So it's exciting. Very cool. Let's, uh, let's, let's move on to the split record with New Day Rising and Mugau Records and sure. uh, maybe where else it was supposed to happen before that, if you want to talk about that. Well, I don't know if we had anything else in store. Um, it, it's just we were playing a lot with New Day, and like I like I was saying earlier, and, and Michael was saying, like um, Oakville and Burlington and Mississauga were, you know, I feel far more receptive to what we were doing at that point in time than than Buffalo was. Like every show mm -hmm. we played there was just incredible, um, and we we just there was just some connection the first time we played with new day rising like we just became good friends with them and it was just it clicked and things kind of went from there so like yeah we were really good friends with them um michael was actually like singing on one of their songs like when we play it was just fun you know it was just like this really cool like camaraderie that we had um and i think we were really like bouncing off of one another you know kind of playing off of each other's strengths and that was making each of us better bands at the time um so it just made it just made sense 
I don't really remember where the whole Mukau thing, the Mukau thing had to have come from New Day because they, they put out two um, split seven inches uh, with Jim prior. Um, really, the only unfortunate thing is that the vinyl didn't come out until, you know, a year after the band was, um, you know, dead and gone. But the I believe the CD came out like right when we did our tour. So um, when that split came out, was was Mukau the only label that was going to put that out? We thought we heard that there was another label that was going to put out that that split. Is that it, true? Or... You, I don't remember. I mean, what other label had you heard? When I was looking into, um, like, when I was doing a little bit of homework for this episode, I went to the Mukau site or band camp or whatever it was, and on there it said that the split that he was saying like something to the effect of like, Hey, any issues with this? It's not my fault. It was originally supposed to come out on an upstate label, which we all know means Western New York called guerrilla warfare. And then oh, that's okay. from the memory told, in okay. my head. Yeah. Yes, you know yes, what I totally about. forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it was gorilla was trying to start a label at that time. And um, he was like new day risings, like number Left one fan. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. and he he had I think he had unfortunately like someone passed away recently like before our tour and he like came into like a whole bunch of money and and he really helped like New Day Rising that tour even happen. Like he he took he drove those guys. I may, maybe even like bought a trailer or something for that tour to even happen. But he was like behind those dudes like 110% and yeah, I think you are right that it, it, made, it may have supposed to have been a split release or he was in, in the works with Mukau and then it didn't end up happening. That might've been why everything got so delayed too. I, I really, honestly, like the, the end of the, the band and our demise, I don't really remember that much. It just seemed like it kind of fizzled out because I knew that I was, I was moving to Delaware um, after our tour happened and that was kind of that, so. Um, the, the logistics and things that went into that that the LP coming out, I'm really not sure. Mike, you have any insights on this? The the label part, no, but uh, my dad bought the trailer. <laughs> I do remember that. It was, it was a bright cherry red, brand new. <laughs> I remember that. And the fact check all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we're not putting out any false info. Uh, we got the real stuff going yeah no gorilla had a, a white astro van i remember i think, I yeah, remember I think he, that. he bought like yeah, he bought like that like escargot thing like for the top of it i believe because i remember um we played kentucky and i think that's where michael decided he was gonna go back he was leaving the tour and i was gonna move on i think joe was gonna come with us as well but he didn't and somehow i ended up squeezing into the new day van because i'm like i quit my job like I've got nothing going on for the next month. Just like shove me in here somewhere. And I actually think I ended up playing bass with New Day Rising for like two shows because their actual bass player was like on, going on vacation with his parents and they, they were picking him up in North Carolina. And I remember picking him up at like um, some weird like, um, like aeronautical flight history flight museum. So uh, <laughs> anyways. Look at Mike in this picture. <laughs> uh, whose picture? I've never seen this one. That's Gorilla right it next to him, actually. It must yeah. be. In, no, it's the New Day Rising picture. That's why you don't have it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
for those who can't see this, obviously, there's a picture of a uh, of a uh, New Day Rising that uh, Michael's in, uh, that aforementioned Gorilla's in, Keith Buckley of Every Time I Die is in, Chris Ring is in. It's it's it's, a, it's from the one of the Veggie Fests, I think. Or was it was it a Veggie Fest or? Guys, no, this was our this that. was our this was our tour kickoff show at the okay. the Ellicott Bill Casino. You got to send me that pick, Mark. I got to definitely will. <laughs> that one's hilarious. <laughs> it's a good time. See, Mark Mark holds out on the pictures. I keep trying to get him pictures for the Instagram, and he holds them out until we do an interview. He's like, "Hey, look at this," and then never see it again. <laughs> I got to see these he pictures. Did. He did. You have millions of pictures. <laughs> he, he does, but there, we'd honestly have no Instagram if, if it weren't for Mark's archive. So he, he gave me all the hourglass stuff. But that's a New Day Rising picture, hence why I don't have. It. Dave Bushmeyer probably has all the stuff, but I'll I'll share some of this stuff with you. Cool, thank you, <laughs> Mike. Why did you leave the tour? I just had a breakdown. I was so stressed and exhausted. Um, I felt uh, I had the the truck and the trailer and I'm a I'm a bit of a um, I love labor and work and so I did the majority of the driving and I was always loading and unloading the trailer because we had both New Day Risings and our stuff and I love I mean I just was packing that thing like you know perfectly and. Lucky, and I was just like, I had a breakdown. I, I lost it. I was exhausted. I was stressed. Um, I, you know, we were kids, man. We were like yeah. 17, 18 years old. Yeah, you I know? couldn't even drive. Like our first. <laughs> <laughs> so when that tour ends, Mike Michael leaves. How how long after that is the end of the band? I guess. Well, they came back for the last few shows, like I was saying. And I don't, like I said, this is pre-cell phone. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how it was arranged. So we were in Kentucky and then we started heading down south. And like I said, I, I, I played a show. I know I played a show in Atlanta where I played bass with New Day Rising. And I think I played in South Carolina with them. And then we picked up Trevor in North Carolina. I believe we played North Carolina um, we went to Virginia because that was the one show that I really regret missing out on for hourglasses that we had a show in Virginia, um, either Richmond or Virginia beach. And it was converge botch us and new day rising. Um, and it was like converge only had like the first record out, like the first botch seven inches out. Like it would have been, it was an awesome show. I mean, I, I was there. It was, it was a lot of fun, but anyways, um, so we were driving up the coast and somehow, um, Michael and the rest of the band met us in Delaware and we played, we ended up playing um, at the house that I ended up moving to. Um, but we played there with, with boys that's fire. Like before, I mean, they were, they were big in Delaware, but they, I don't even think they had signed to victory yet. Um, but they were, they were huge there. So that show was really great. And like I said, we were supposed to play long Island the day after. And I believe it was, it was Michael, myself and Joe had made it there. Um, with all the gear and shit and the new day broke down outside of philly um, which is funny because they broke down and the gas station that we were at the attendant um that was working at the gas station ended up being in a band with me when i was playing when i when i subsequently moved to delaware um i was playing in a band called the death of us with um a guy from delaware and two guys from philly and the one guy from philly was the the, the gas station guy that like met the guys when they broke down which is freaking weird but I think I, I think I saw you guys in <laughs> Buffalo did you guys play the Atomic 
Yeah, yeah, we played the Atomic like with Etid and maybe Buried Alive. It was a yeah. like, uh, two thousand or ninety nine maybe, and then we played Toronto. We played Toronto the next day, which I didn't even realize it. Um, we played with Three Penny Opera, who is um, one of the guys from Shotmaker, who is like one of my like favorite um, like punk hardcore bands from Canada. They're they're amazing, but you I didn't said, realize it at the time. <laughs> just you said that um that um. What's the name of that band you just mentioned? The one that was the Death, wasn't, the, 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 death no, of us? the one that wasn't on Victory. Why, why can't I think of their name right now? That band. Voice Sets Fire. Yeah. Voice Sets Fire. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. but yeah, <laughs> you said they were big in Delaware. But how big is big in Delaware? huge in delaware no like i mean they were from newark and like when i moved there like there was this club called girls inc there which was like their the popular club and i mean there'd be it wasn't even a club it was like a community center or whatever yeah um but i would say you know there'd be a few hundred people out and i mean this isn't a pretty small town um Mm -hmm. there'd be a few hundred people and like there are a couple of like hits that they had at, at the beginning like everybody knew every single word it was crazy like they were i mean you know like you knew you knew that something was going to happen for this band and if it didn't like something was wrong like they they were really good back then boy sets fire was like one of my favorite bands like the day the sun went out is still like that record still gives me the feels yeah it's kind of funny um after i moved to I, i i moved to delaware after the band broke up and then maybe like a year after i was there i started playing in this band called the kill quota and it was three of the guys from Walleye and my friend Rob, who was in this band called The Bessemer Process. They're they like this metal band. They actually played that Hourglass show as well um, when we played there. Um, but we started playing some shows and um, then Rob, like uh, Daryl quit Boy Sets Fire and Rob, our guitar player, like got, got the call because he was friends with all those dudes and he ended up being their bass player. So he played on, I think he played on like all of the records on Victory because Daryl left because he didn't want to sign to Victory and pretty much the rest of the band did. It's weird that like thinking about back to that time period when it was controversial to sign to Victory, you know, like in, in the grand scheme of things, it's like, it's really like kind of silly. Like, why wouldn't you sign to Victory? Like, come on. Yeah, it, It's kind of funny. Um, uh, the I did a kind of, I mean, I'm still doing a band. I play in a band with my wife, um, but I was, we were playing in kind of like a psychedelic trio um, with Blake from the drummer of They Live and myself and my wife, we were called La Cacouette. And like, Tony was actually like interested in signing us for a minute. Like we recorded like some demos for him, but it never ended up panning out. But totally, I mean, this is like, this is uh, 2005 maybe. So like, well, he, he had obviously expanded the label into, you know, Hi-Fi and the Roadburners and like all sorts of like weird, you know, he, he was putting out whatever at that point. Classic Electric Frankenstein records. Classics. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, yeah, the classics. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed to do something right. He just sold the label for $40 million. So. 30 million. It's crazy. 30 million. Yeah, but whatever yeah. it was. Whatever it something is. Right. I mean, he yeah. definitely got the better end of that deal. But then he shit the bed with Mission too. Like that probably won't be a label by the end of this year. Can we start a new label called Mission Two. Mission Mission Two, yeah. Put out like Don't Sleep, Chromags, uh, that Insight discography, and like another record. But they don't make their own merch anymore. It's a totally different merch company, and part of his deal was to keep the Victory merch. 
who owns uh, all the rights to the records? I mean, that's where all the money. Who who owns Taking Back Sunday? Who owns Thursday? Like, I did the think, band I buy that all back that, from them? <laughs> no, I think whoever bought it for the thirty million, I think they own the rights or something. I'm not sure. There's some weird rights thing because that's how yeah. like um, organized crime got all the integrity stuff because he kind of let it lapse or something. Okay. Yeah. Well, if they do anything with it, if they don't do anything with it, then it's you know like whoever it was that bought it hasn't done anything with any of that victory catalog oh, come on yet. you you know there's going to be the 2025 freaking pop punk emo resurgence and like taking oh, back yeah. sunday and all those bands are going to be huge once again so <laughs> i mean i'm hope i'm dead before that but yeah <laughs> basically the only thing that's changed up to now is just where the checks go for the streaming stuff yeah yeah okay so you guys meet we're, we're in long island now so that in that time frame, how far yeah. after that, like what happens after that with the band? After the that, that was pretty much that was pretty much it. And like we had already recorded the the split and it was either out or just about to come out. Mm -hmm. Um and then I ended up moving and then the the album came out and then we had talked about doing the final show. And you know, so that was the subsequent um it was actually on my birthday. Um the the year that I had moved to Delaware, so I came back a few months later, and we, we did that show. Buffalo hardcore formal, yeah. <laughs> but they were already. Um, I think they were like the the early rumblings of Buried Alive were already happening. I know they went through a couple different different lineups, and I know like they had played with with Marcus and um, maybe even Frank Vicario. There was a couple different things that happened, and then. Um, I can't remember the whole thing. I think even Aaron, like our current bass player, played with them for a minute before Buried Alive happened. I'm not, I, I don't know the whole yeah. time frame of that at all. Yeah. Okay. So Hourglass breaks up. Hourglass broke up because you, because you left then? Is that, that pretty, what you pretty, would say? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I would say even towards the end, like, um, like Matt and Joe did some more like they they wrote a few of the songs on the seven inch where i think before that it was primarily like me songwriting maybe we were diverging and where we wanted to go with things as well um but yeah i i really think the the demise of the band was was me leaving buffalo okay mike what's your what's your uh, insight on that i i mean i the 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 ending of the tour early for us was not you know, a good thing either. I think that was a big part of uh, it as well. I know it soured, you know, pretty hard with, with Joe. Um, but yeah, I would say that was a big uh, contribution. Um, I think it also like, it was a burnout. It was just like, it was, it ran its course, you know? Um, so until I think, now. I think we all just sort of felt that way. Um, yeah, until until now. But yeah, no, I mean, in the now, Gerald and I have been, you know, sort of interested in, in you know, working together for a, a long time. You know, we were always sort of interested in coming back to this. Um, I've always been really keen on the idea of not necessarily just, um, you know, rehashing what we did, but you know, being creative again. Um, and that was a big part, you know, when, when Gerald said, you know, Sean was interested in doing something, I sort of said, I'd, I'd only really be interested in it if we could, you know, work on something new um, in addition to it. And, and, uh, and that's just been, that's been great. Cool. 
So I know you guys, um, after Hourglass broke up, you did that band, The Great Escape. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, I had been writing some, some demos for songs when I was, <laughs> when I was in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. And I was trying to, I, I, knew I, I knew at that point um, when I was Philly that I was moving back to Buffalo. Um, so I started to try to find some people to work with. And I um, fell into Ray Lamke almost immediately. I think it might've even been off that old Buffalo, the Buffalo shows.net board. Um, yeah. I was looking for people or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, I started playing with Ray Lamke. And then I was also um, talking with Scott Wygant, who was the guitar player in Angels of the Architecture. And we, I went over and like, I went over to somebody's basement. It might've been Scott's basement with Ray. And I like showed him a couple of my songs, um, which I had already sent him. Like I had, I had, that's when I kind of got into starting to get into recording too, is when I was preparing to leave Philadelphia. Like I bought a four track and I just started like, you know, starting to lay down some of my ideas to send them to people. Um, so I had some of these songs or whatever. And um, yeah, Scott didn't really like what I was doing. And then I think, you know, I just got back together with Mike because, um, you know, we had, we had remained friends, although distant, um, over the time that I was in Philly and Delaware. And um, he kind of liked what I was doing and threw down some vocals. And eventually he's like, you know, I want to learn how to play guitar. And I, you know, helped him learn how to play the songs. And like, you know, that was kind of his beginnings into to getting into play guitar. So, yeah. And then I think um, there's this guy, Jeff, that played bass with us. I believe, Mike, you were friends with him. Um, and brought him into the fold but yeah we were kind of doing some like i don't know some like quick sandy texas is the reason he kind of almost like post hardcore kind of stuff mike was kind of singing and screaming um you know it was just kind of the stuff that i had that i was into at that point so you know trying to do something along those lines very cool um so you guys are the thing you're recording so you're putting out the the discography 12 inch and you're gonna record some new songs yeah we're hoping to do like a new uh, full length um we've got i would say well we've got three songs that are kind of gestating that i've been working on with with billy and aaron and then we've got a fourth one that's kind of written that we haven't done with them yet and then i have this other kind of instrumental thing um that i sent to michael that he's actually worked out some lyrics and stuff for that we're going to use Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of have five things rolling. Um, but like I said, every it, it's been really cool because I, I felt like before, like I was like the main contributor in terms of writing riffs until like the end of Hourglass. So like, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's always how it's been in a lot of the bands that I've been in. But like in this situation, like everybody's contributing and that's it's made it so easy because um, Marcus is sending me video riffs of himself and Aaron like an hour before this call he just sent me two ideas which are which are awesome um so we have all of this stuff that's just kind of swirling so um there's the the three of us here building the songs um and doing and rehearsing pretty much weekly and then I send stuff to Michael and then he he's been doing um kind of rearranging things based on where the vocals are going um so it's just been really cool. It's like this whole like production and kind of team where we're just all working together and throwing stuff down. And it's, it's just been a lot of fun. It, it's really been great to, you know, I, I don't know if I ever thought I'd be playing, you know, like music, like aggressive music like this again, but it's been a lot of fun. And like, um, it still sounds like hourglass, but it's 
still something new and, and, and different. And I hope, I don't know, I hope people are into it. So you want to get into the, uh, the shtick, Chris? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to leave it on uh, either Alex or Derek to come up with the top five. The top five questions, since you've both been kind of quiet. But- All right. Um, top five out-of-town Hourglass shows. I don't know if you guys have that many, but I know you're going to say Canada. Well, give it to me. <laughs> Yeah, can, I guess thing, what, can I, can I the, guess what number one is? Sorry, go on. Sorry. For me, it was <laughs> that, there was a that London Ontario like split set show was, yeah. was very <laughs> memorable. Um, just how you know, kind of, it was both goofy and you know outrageous and um, just purely fun. Uh, we we uh, it just it, yeah. It had a it had such a different vibe from any other show that we ever played, so it's very memorable. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna get, I was gonna say that that's definitely a memorable show. There's a very mysterious tall guy that we can't um, identify <laughs> from that show who has subsequently shown up in other um, Oakville, Ontario photos, and nobody. I, I've asked all like the old heads, like, do you guys know who this dude is? And like nobody knows who he is, so it's still a mystery. Street I think guy. I post about that guy <laughs> <laughs> just towering over everyone in the back. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because like like I said, I've been kind of messaging with with Joe a little bit about the band, and then like he texts me the one day, and he's just like, like like he must have been like looking at the Instagram and like had had the picture from Oakville, like and he like highlighted like pointing to the dude. And he's like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> and then I and then I then I of course sent him the other picture from Burlington with the guy in the photo, and like we we have no idea who he is. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I have a few memorable shows. I would definitely say, um, one that we played in Mississauga, um, we played with Acrid and 400 years and that was just really memorable for me because groundwork has always been like one of the most, you know, influential bands, I would say overall in in terms of our, our, our sound and and some of the aesthetic that goes with it. I, I think everybody in the band, um, was way into them at that point in time so it was really cool to be able to play you know with, with their band that came after that and to you know um even meet dave or you know anybody that that had to do with that band so that was that was really cool um and the syracuse new year's day shows were always a highlight um i still it was kind of funny somebody messaged me recently um through the instagram and was like yeah i saw you guys at that that new year's day show and like you guys just scared the shit out of me. And it was just like, I, I don't know. I never felt like we were like threatening or um, I don't know, had that, had that aura about us, but I guess Michael, both you and, and Joe did have some like um, hybrid dreadlocks that day. So maybe that was part of uh, uh, what terrified I, them. <laughs> I, I, I dare say that, uh, I, I do seem to remember Hourglass having some emotionally intense moments while playing. And to somebody who's not accustomed to that, that could be like scary, you know? Like, I, I guess I could see that. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, you guys were like throwing your guitars or not like around, but you know, whipping them around, <laughs> you know? It's just like, yeah, don't get like too close. Rolling, yeah. And you're like rolling on the floor and you're like, you know, so it's like, it's not like scary, like, oh my god i'm gonna get beat up but scary like 
this is clearly kind of unpredictable. I'm not sure how I feel Got, about gotcha. this. I'm not sure what's happening. <laughs> you know, also, like like also don't sing Mike, uh, don't try to sing along with Mike, he'll push you. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely weren't like one of those like sing along bands. We were just there doing our thing and it was definitely I think a huge moment of, of catharsis and, and release. And I think it will still be that same thing if and when we end up hitting the stage again. Um, you know, it, it is some, like what we're doing is somewhat like personal to us. And I don't know, it, it is weird to, to share that or even thinking about like how, how someone will react to what we're doing. Right. <laughs> I don't know the reason I said that is because uh, Joel, uh, said something about Mike pushing people trying to sing along. So he <laughs> <laughs> said, write your own songs if you want to sing. That <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> so, um, okay, other shows, other memorable shows. I think we have two. We have two or three right now. Or we have like three. I think uh, you have like, yeah, that have like been, three of them. That might have been three. I mean, definitely those those shows at the um at the church i mean i know it wasn't always like hourglass didn't really play there but that's kind of where i definitely honed a lot of what what i did and i don't know having that that kind of reaction as like a 15 or 16 year old to have a couple hundred kids just like going crazy when you're playing like really crappy generic hardcore was really like a really cool experience it'd be and cool it now too like, don't lie yeah, oh no, for sure. Like, like like that like like Michael was saying before, like you you know, like you need that level of confidence to do it and playing like shows like that really helps you when you have people that are behind you and into it. And like like I said, um not to repeat myself, but I always kind of felt like we were like just kind of like on the fringe of of the Buffalo hardcore scene. Like some people were into it, but you know, we weren't like the traditional type of band. Um so like you know you kind of have that that stigma and it, and it's weird you know like I, I will be digitizing our last show from that hardcore formal like that was weird to like finally get that type of reaction from from people in buffalo when like we could go to canada and it was like that every day of the week but then you come here and it's like pulling teeth to get like 20 kids to come see you at times so you know yeah for so me the last, i would say the last two were um the the first show we played in Oakville um I remember you know I mean I think it was at a church or something I remember the um you know the atmosphere was just just thick you know everybody was really close to us it was a good crowd I think our it just my energy I think I had never sort of given what I had given and I I mean, I remember going out right after we played and throwing up in the bushes. <laughs> I was just so like exhausted, overexerted, just like everything. Dude, um, it had to have been that it had to have been that New Day show that was that somebody posted that video of that where you were singing with Chris and Revolution song because I you like it was, went, it was yeah. you you that fucking was, went ape yeah. shit man like I'd never seen you like <laughs> get that like it was like full throttle the entire like set it was awesome yeah and then the other one for me was the um the outdoor the UB show yeah, yeah. <laughs> um that was a lot of fun like that to me was 
not so much the show, but uh, that's when I think we were really gelled as a kind of brotherhood of both within our band, but also with New Day. Um, and that just, I mean, it felt like we were gangsters in this warp tour that nobody came, you know? <laughs> we were living the life, you know? Like, the vehicles were like parked right next to the stairs. We were like, it was, it was pretty uh, amazing. And um, yeah, so I felt, I, I felt that show has always uh, stood out to me. So, uh, speaking of shows, do you guys remember the chokehold at Negation Inkwell? Uh, maybe Threshold show that was at that like yeah, gymnasium on Main Street. Yeah, whatever that yeah. was. Yes. No, I, I, yeah, I booked, I booked that show. Okay. That, was the, that was the last. Well, that was the the last chokehold show I think before they played New Bedford Fest. So it was like their mm-hmm. final run of shows. But yeah, I definitely remember that show. It was great, and um, that was crazy. Like we were friends with all the all those bands at the time. I, we were friends with Inkwell through through Mark, and um, Mark was good friends with Rebecca Merchant in Atlanta, and that's how we hooked up with those guys. I actually um, messaged with Martin, their bass player, every once in a while um, online. But uh, yeah, it, it was crazy. Actually, all of the the photos from the insert of the original insert of the seven inch were um, all were like a film reel take. I believe, I'm not sure. I don't think you took the mark. I believe it was um, Sean or Pat, but that's what showed up. That, that's within the original lyric book from the seven inch were from that yeah. show. I was following uh, Texas is the reason up to New Bedford Fest that week at that week. So that's why okay. I was at that show. There was like the so yeah, that one or something. So like a big like debate about abortion or something. It, there was yeah. so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I with my perspective and as a guy in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. So like, and and I, there were also some people who were playing both sides that I'm not going to go into names of, but I kind of watched people like totally pal up the chokehold, and then while chokehold was playing saying some of their lyrics back to him ironically with middle fingers and i was just kind of like what the fuck but that's neither here nor there the the big piece that i remember was the a from my perspective and maybe we'll have chris logan on one day and talk about this that chokehold seemed like two different bands while they were playing and that that i don't remember chris talking much i just remember one of the other members talking and he really was just kind of like really taking shots at abnegation which may or may not have been justified yeah i think uh, it was their guitar player um yeah things i don't know thing that was definitely a, an extremely i think volatile time um where a lot of you know politics and issues came to the forefront of of hardcore which you know i i definitely think it's a you know obviously a good thing to have you know discussions but yeah it, it was definitely interesting um and not not something that you were used to seeing especially at shows in buffalo you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. inkwell was awesome like i love inkwell and they were awesome <laughs> that day i'm like i actually traded two inkwell seven inches for a tattoo which is kind of funny but like <laughs> fucking inkwell was so fucking good okay so last thing we like to do on our podcast is I mean, you know what our podcast is about. We talk about Buffalo bands, Buffalo releases and stuff. Who do you think we should have on this podcast 
Like, who would you kind of nominate to be on this podcast? Well, I like the fact that, that you're mentioned, like Chris Logan, I think would be great, especially because he's been, you know, doing the longest war thing. Um, yeah. He's been, do- he's been doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, I really like, um, I, I, I've obviously been checking out a little bit more stuff since I'm kind of, you know, semi getting back in the game. So I'm trying to see what's going on um, locally, but I really like the, I, I cannot remember their name, but I really like the, the new band that Aaron King is doing. And I know he's been doing stuff, obviously, before then. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know you've been doing I, – I just saw the, the new ones with, with Final Declaration, so you're doing some of the newer stuff. Yeah. Um, I, like, I, like, I like the mix of the stuff. I mean, you're going super old. Like, you have the, you know, the old ZT guys and, you know, whatnot, and you've had Daryl. Um, I just keep on mixing it up. I, I, I think the format's great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. That's really nice. How about you, Mike? How do you answer that question? I'd say Joe, bring Joe and Matt on and get their hourglass perspective. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could talk hourglass and buried alive. Uh, yeah. yeah, that would be fun, though. I think you know those guys are you know. No, we could talk about that. We could talk about Joe's new restaurant. Have you guys been yeah. there? Or have you been there, Gerald? I have. I've been to the old one, um, and we recently got takeout from the new one. It's really good. What's it called? What's, what is it? It's called Mojo Market. Um, it's it's a takeout. Well, it's going to be sit down and takeout, but um, it's primarily organic and soups and breakfast stuff and sandwiches. And then they're going to kind of have a small like um, market with different locally sourced um, goods and I believe produce as well. Um, so yeah, they're, they're doing takeout right. It's on Kenmore. Um, right in the village of Kenmore, I believe, um, right past Tremont. It's almost um, next door to the Record Baron. So, okay. So, um, I think we're going to wrap it up right there. What do you guys think? You guys got anything else? Uh, Chris, Alex, Derek? I, I got I got nada. Awesome. I think, I, I think we got a pretty good interview here, so. <laughs> wrap it up okay I, mean, I wish i had more but this all kind of predates me and like your your band is a couple records to me because i just wasn't i wasn't there gotcha. it's i like shake it's, my head in judgment <laughs> I, I should have been born earlier it's fucked up well i i feel i feel honored that um that aaron's playing bass with us i think that's super cool um does he still I, go by I, yeah, on occasion he will, um, but I think I think it's kind of cool because I know we definitely had had an influence on on the early every time I die stuff um, that he was he was a participant in, so it's kind mm-hmm. of coming full circle and he's also he's, it's cool because he's the fucking best. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> he's delightful. He's the fucking I do best. Not disagree. He's a very and he's a, he's a very uh, good bass player too, and awesome. he just sent me some guitar. Like I said, he just sent me some guitar riffs tonight. So um. I'm just excited to be be creating some new stuff, and like I said, it's a little bit nerve wracking because a we were never really a, the most traditional hardcore band, and I don't know if what we're we're pursuing now is you know it's definitely not traditional hardcore, um, but I just hope people enjoy it. I, I everybody you know all all of us are are psyched on it so. Sure. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, what do you guys plan? 
what do you guys plan on doing for recording? Are you going to record in one one spot? Or are you guys going to do it in your yeah. respective towns? No, we're hoping to do it here. Um, I'd like. I, I'm hoping. Like we've already been talking to Jay Zubricki, um at, at GCR. Um, so I've I've worked on some stuff um, with my wife's band, and obviously he's he's definitely got a great pedigree when it comes to some hardcore and like um, punk hardcore stuff. I know he's he's got a nice little working relationship with some of the bands on Epitaph, and obviously he's he's worked on a lot of the the Etid stuff. Um, and I just he's the the nicest one of the nicest human beings i've ever i've ever met um sure. so yeah. he, he he he's really stoked on it and um yeah i know michael comes into town every once in a while um actually one of his his architect friends you know he's got a foundry here and i know they work on some projects together sometimes so he's in and out every once in a while and um marcus who's playing guitars in pittsburgh but he's got family here too so there's there's always a reason for people to come back here and then the the core band that's kind of writing and, and um, rehearsing right now is here. So uh, I think it just kind of makes sense. Cool. cool. All right. Well, on that note, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Gerald. Thanks for coming right on. on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Cool. All right. All right. Have a good night, Jen. that maybe was like 95 or something like that and yeah. uh that's how he he brought it to us that's when we heard it that's all you got that man <laughs> i'm so tired <laughs> i'm so freaked out over this like uh daylight saving shift you're talking about Ange bishop right Ange bishop yep. yeah yeah he he had the demo that's cool i didn't know he was connected in some way that's awesome that's well, there that's you awesome. go we're putting some people Putting some pieces together here for you, man. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Is that all you got then, Pat? Yeah, I got more than that. I mean, <laughs> I, I once had a like um, spoon with Joe Orlando at some show. After some show, we stayed in an apartment in Ohio or something like that, and they put the AC on all night. We didn't have blankets. So I had a spoon with Joe Orlando because it was so freaking cold. <laughs> we were sleeping had in the two, he says. Had to. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And I, I can't say truthfully, we didn't sleep that much, but it, it was that cold. <laughs> <laughs> or was it that hot? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I remember like driving from 
was it Louisville, like a Kentucky straight back to Buffalo and Mike drove the whole way straight and didn't want anyone else to drive. He just wanted to get home. I think is that memory, right? I don't know. He said something about that. I think. Oh yeah. Is, is Mike and Gerald already gone? No, they're still here. You can't see him. No, but oh wait, I don't know. I don't have to do zooms ever. So, um, there they are. That that sounds about right, Pat. I mean, I toured with some crappy shows, like, uh, but still some fun times. I remember you had from our. We somehow had a bunch of food donated at the first the Ellicott Creek show. And we had a giant bag of bagels and you ate them for like a, a week. Like that's all you ate the entire time was from this like enormous bag of bagels we had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds, I mean, I, I don't remember that so much, but like, that's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> are you I kind of you, clear? Sorry. Like, are you all, I kind of clearly doing, remember that. Are you still doing immigrant sign or is it just Sean? Uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone's, we're not really doing Immigrant Sun. Sean's got more ideas. Man, all I do is listen to podcasts right now. Like, I don't even listen to music anymore, to tell you the truth. So I feel like really disconnected from it. Um, yeah. I don't have a stereo hooked up. I do listen to music through my Alexa. So, like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not as excited by making actual things anymore. Yeah. I used to. I, like, I'm more into, like, uh, um. I'm more into minimalism, I guess, than making shit. But uh, um, sure. well, you know, uh-huh. you know that immigrant, you know that immigrant son's doing a discography LP for us, right? Is that true? Like, like I don't know. Like, I feel like I, <laughs> I mean, like I know where it's like to get old dudes to do something. Like, it's like hurting cat. Like, do you think no, you're all recording stuff? Happen. Oh yeah, we're we're yeah we we we've got new songs, like a bunch of them. Oh, I mean, like that dude lives in one state, and that dude lives in another state. I mean, yep. make things way easier, but yeah, now we're getting there. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I like hanging out with Sean a lot. When he gets excited about something, I'll get excited with him. I know that much. Very cool. We'll get excited. Get excited, Pat. <laughs> isn't it everyone else like i'm so tired i've been tired this whole week man like i, I haven't woken up since this week what about the last what about year the- and change you know <laughs> i don't know i was getting used to it but then they, they sprung forward an hour and i really thought i got the next hour of sleep on sunday but i was completely wrong <laughs> for those who don't know i guess um Pat Knight, who did Immigrant Son with Sean Mallinson, is on the podcast. He showed up at the end and is adding his uh, three cents in here. So, oh man, is recorded? <laughs> yeah, we're recording this. <laughs> oh. We'll we'll put it in somewhere. <laughs> yeah, in the trash would be good. This is Radio <laughs> Gold. What are you talking about? <laughs> Anyhow, um, I think we're gonna wrap it up there. Um, thanks for coming in, Pat. Okay. That, that was awesome. Yeah, it's good to see you, Pat. Yeah, yeah, nice to see you guys. All right. Peace.